I'm very happy to have the opportunity to be here and to participate. And I want to thank Jack and the entire committee for the invitation to be here and have the opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope with you folks that I can get another day of sobriety also. Uh, also, I want to take the time this evening to welcome all of the new people that are here tonight for your first 30 days in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, back in the coast, I would ask that you know, everybody that's here for the first 30 days in Alcoholics Anonymous, you please raise your hand, stand up, give your name, and we all stare at them. Uh, <clears throat> it's a miracle I was still here. But uh, I'm sure there's some new people here because, you know, we're moving into February, and this is the last of the Christmas holdouts are starting to come in now. We get, we get quite a deluge of people, you know, coming in this time of month. But for the benefit of the new people who are out there tonight, if you will, I try to keep an open mind. And what you can use, why take it with you. And if you can't use it, kick it on the chair and leave it there. <clears throat> there's a lot of meetings, I'm sure, in this general area, and you'll have the opportunity to get out and get to a lot of meetings before you make any decisions. You've got to remember that I... I am a, an example. I'm not by, and everybody that participates in AA are, are examples. If you have something going bad about AA, why, uh, don't judge it by me. Because as I made mention, I am, I'm an example, good or bad, that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works, and that's all it is. But it hasn't been necessary for me to take a drink, steal anything, or go to jail now for one day, uh, two weeks, 11 months, and 26 years. Uh, <laughs> I thought that up on the plane. <coughs> <laughs> I really didn't think anybody would be impressed. <coughs> but I am, obviously. <coughs> I never brought it up, you know that. <laughs> but I've been talking about it for years. You know, what the hell, we may get a pension program going in AA. <laughs> if we do, I'd like to get credit for all my time. So I bring it up any time I have the opportunity, and if I don't have the opportunity, I'm going to tell you about it anyway. But to the people that are sitting out there that are new tonight, why, you know, that's kind of an overwhelming thing when you hear people talking about a lot of sobriety and a lot of sobriety. Anybody's been sober, you know, maybe a year, year and a half, eight months. You know, that's a lot of sobriety, and, and I can understand that, and I hope I never forget. So I can remember sitting in that first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and I'm sitting there in that meeting, and I'm 29 years old. I'm 56. So you can always tell a guy trying to figure it out, you know. <laughs> well, you save a lot of mathematics, though. Anyway... I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm 29 years old, and the guy stands up in front of the meeting that night, and he said, I haven't found it necessary to take a drink, steal anything, and go to jail now for nine and a half years. And my reaction to that is, I want to get up out of the chair, and I want to say, you're the biggest liar I've ever heard. How the hell could a guy go nine and a half years out there in that rotten jungle if he doesn't drink? Well, he's got to deal with those lousy people. He meets his responsibilities. He's got to be honest. He hasn't had a hooker now for nine and a half years. Man, that's a drink where I come from. I don't know what it is in Kentucky, but there must be some generation gap, huh? Anyway, I hadn't had a drink for nine and a half years. And I was overwhelmed with it. You know, if he'd have said I hadn't had anything to drink now for, oh, 10, 11 months, why, I might have gone up to him after me and said, the hell you have, how'd you do it? You know, I could understand that because I'd gone 11 and a half months one time, I, I'd been in jail. And uh, I had absolutely nothing to drink. I was perfectly willing to stretch the thing out maybe to a year, but I couldn't go for the next nine and a half years, and I like many alcoholics, and maybe all alcoholics. I hadn't come to AA for nine and a half years. I'd come to AA for a little while. I had a lot of heat on out there in the street, and I wanted to get the heat off. <clears throat> I wanted to uh, find some way to control this booze and not hurt myself any longer and get out and get going, because I had a lot to do out there, right? Alcoholics are busy people, and there was a lot going, and I had to get out there and get going with it, and there were a lot of people waiting for me. <clears throat> My best friends were out there. I... 
couldn't think of their names, but they were... They were all my best friends. And I got to get out there and get to them and guide them. They may die out there if I'm not out there, you know. <laughs> and I almost mesmerized myself right out the door and into the, you know, into the gin mill. <clears throat> but I kept going to meetings, you see. I had a sponsor that said you ought to go to a lot of meetings. And I didn't particularly care, you know, like my sponsor at that time. And so I went to a lot of meetings. Not because I wanted to, because, but because I thought he didn't think I could get to a lot of meetings. So I, I went to a lot of meetings. And whether you've been around for 26 years or 26 days, it doesn't make any difference. Without the meetings, there isn't anything. Without the meetings, why, there isn't any semblance of sanity or serenity or sobriety. And what I need to live with out there on the street, I'll be able to extract from the meetings. I'll take it out of here and I'll <clears throat> take it out there in the street and I'll be able to function. And it's doubly so when you're new, because you, when you're new, well, you learn a lot of things, like the program don't run for the next nine and a half years. I found out that all I had to take care of was 24 hours a day right now, because that's all that's going, is right now. <clears throat> when you get right down to it, that's really all there is, isn't it? Right now? <clears throat> this moment. That's all I got. I couldn't change what happened a couple of hours ago. I may want to, but I couldn't. And I can't tell you for sure what's going down a couple of hours from now. But if I got anything going for me in my life, it's what's going right now. And being able to get all I can get, man, good, bad, or indifferent, no, I'm bitter now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if it's going good, don't, don't question it. Don't ask your sponsor. How much going to good? Oh, no, get it, because it'll get salty later on. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned that if you take care of the now period of your life, the day will take care of itself. And would a day run for you? My God, a week might go and it did. And then a month ran, and then it was a year. And now it's been 26 years, and it's just the other day, you know. Walk through the door. And I sat down in those meetings, and I'm wondering, what the hell am I doing today? You know, because I got overjoyed over the fact I'm an alcoholic. There wasn't a lot of class to being an alcoholic when I came in. There was, uh, you know, we didn't have the PR out there. There was no status connected with it. They didn't issue out pins that said, you're a 32nd degree alcoholic. You know, yeah. I got to run around town, show everybody your pin. I got a pin. Yeah, God, I'm glad you got a pin, Norm. Hell of a deal. Jesus, you worked hard. I'm glad you belong to AA. That isn't the way it is, is it? No. I resisted the program right down to the bitter end like everybody else because I was not an alcoholic. I was a heavy drinker. And the victim of unusual circumstances and rotten drivers if I ain't no alcoholic. So <laughs> I sat in those meetings and I wondered, you know, why am I an alcoholic? You know, my God, of all the things it could have been. I didn't go down to my high school counselor and he said, Norm, what would you like to be? And I said, an alcoholic. Yeah. He was overjoyed. He says, marvelous. Got a hell of a program for jackasses. So... <laughs> I took the program, I ripped the city for 15 years, I ended up in AA and everything was lovely and that isn't it. And I wondered like everybody wondered, you know, I, why am I? Uh, my family. Yeah, that's what my problem is, my family. Well, I come from a heavy drinking family. Irish, Italian family, first generation born in this country. No wonder I'm an alcoholic, ah, yeah. Born and raised in LA, I got bad environment. All of these things created my alcoholism and you know and I know it didn't. Irish-Italian people, what can you say about that? You know, they're not too bright and they talk a lot with their hands, and that's all you're going to get out of that, huh? <laughs> L.A. is a city, and that's all it is. You can get out anywhere you want to get out of it. If you want it bad enough and you're willing to make the sacrifices to get it to do it. So people, places, and things do not create my problems. I create the problems. I'm an alcoholic because I drink too much whiskey. And I figured that out by myself. What a giant decision that was. Yeah, the whiskey created it. And I'm the guy that did the drinking of the whiskey, so when you get right down to it, I'm the biggest problem I've ever had. And that, you know, and that hasn't changed up to and including today. Because no matter where I go, I'm the first guy to get there, right? <laughs> no, I don't have to call anybody up to get a messed up out there. I'm able to take care of that very well. 
Oh, yeah, I can stand out there and overreact to any situation anywhere at any time. And there are times out there where I feel making money is important, and the getting even's better, right? <laughs> and I still go back into that old attitude, you know. I traveled half the world in half my life, made a complete ass of myself. I spent money I didn't have buying things I didn't need, trying to impress people I didn't like. <laughs> I sat around them gin mills by the days, the years, and the hours, you know, talking to all the high rollers, building the castles in the air and forming the corporations, talking to millions, spending them thousands, never had five in pocket, you know. <laughs> what were all the poor people tonight to make money right there? Drove them Cadillacs up and down the barn night after night after night, yeah. And when they said to me, what do you do? I told them, man, I do it all. I thought you knew that. I'm the general manager of the universe, friend, and don't you ever forget that. <laughs> An alcoholic spends a lifetime impressing a group of people <clears throat> that he's never met, but he's something he isn't. Any length to prove a point. Drive around the city in the summertime with the windows rolled up in your car to make them think you had an air conditioner. <laughs> Right here, story years ago, you may hear I heard from a Texican over here, and this guy didn't know, but he was telling my life story, and it's clean. And the story has to do with a with his blacksmith, and he's making a horseshoe. And he stands there, and he's pounding out at that horseshoe, and there's an old cowboy standing there watching the whole deal. And he throws the horseshoe down the ground, and the cowboy reaches down, and he picks up that horseshoe, and quickly throws it down the ground. And the old blacksmith turned to him, and he says, "Hot, wasn't it?" And the old cowboy said, "No, it don't take me long to look at a horseshoe." <laughs> That's the story of my life, yeah. Uh, justifying the stupidity of my existence. Yeah. Laying around in the street, dead drunk, and the people said, you're on the street drunk. And I said, oh, no, I love streets. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and the beauty of it all is that I don't have to live that way any longer. You see, I came to the program, and I found out after I got into AA that I don't have to be anybody anymore except me. And if I don't get any more than that, and the sobriety of enjoyed here, I can say without reservation, I'm overpaid. And if you're new here this evening, you might give it a little thought. And you might buy the package that's available to you here. And you might take it with me tomorrow out there on that city street. And you might spend the day with me just being sober and being yourself. Not having to justify your existence or compromise your life, if you don't wish. It's a hell of an experience. It's an experience no alcoholic should be without. Tonight, to tell you a little bit about me as to what I was like, what happened, what I'm trying to be like today, what the program means to me. Some things that I've used to stay sober over a period of time. I told you a great deal about me. I'm a guy with a bad attitude. You got a bad attitude, you got a bad problem out there. I got that rotten attitude out there. All of my life, I always want to prove something to somebody. Yeah, that bad attitude got me a lot of trouble. I was picked up the first time in 1939. Wasn't drinking, I was too young. I was stealing. <clears throat> I'm a thief by trade, an alcoholic by absorption. I kiss. That's what that old priest told me years ago. I was a vice president, general manager of all the outside operations. For the midnight auto supply of the San Gabriel Valley. <laughs> I was in the car business, the move cars, move car parts in the beginning. <laughs> then I got to be a job to gather up all that crap, hubcap feeders, you know, so we just moved cars. It was better. <laughs> Hell of a deal. Best job I ever had. <clears throat> yeah. God, you didn't need any money to get into it. You didn't carry any inventory. And everything you turned was 100% profit. How are you going to beat that deal, huh? <laughs> but it's illegal. <clears throat> And the inevitable comes down. You know, eventually, why time runs out. You go against the percentages, more cops than there are fees, you get arrested. The law of retribution, what's going out is coming back. If you're going to play, you got to pay. 
kind of rotten in it, <laughs> but it's there, and I'll appreciate it. I don't like it, but it's there, and I understand it today. <clears throat> and so I got picked up, and I was brought in front of the man, and the man sent me to jail. So I was in jail a period of time. I got a release. I was put on probation, came back out to L.A. <clears throat> I'm still looking for the fantasy land. The fantasy land I was trying to find walked in. It was 1941. It was Easter week in Los Angeles. Easter week, Balboa Beach, the Rendezvous Ballroom, Stan Kenton, and Padre Beer. That's where it all got going. We drink a little Padre, get a little buzz on, go in the dance hall, dance with them dollies, act four times drunk on what we were, breathe on the girls, oh, you know, let them know. Have huh? <laughs> high rollers coming in from L.A., baby, yeah. Oh, yeah. Had a lot of fun. In the beginning, I'm not alcoholic, not the first time out of the shoot. A lot of people feel they're alky the first trip. I know argument. I know they are, but I was not. I had fun in the beginning. It was a big, there was the dance halls, the big bands, and the girls, and just fun. I just kind of, I ground it out. I moved out of Padre Beer, <coughs> shot into the Rainier Rail, the old Green Death, and from the Green Death I moved to Whiskey, and when I got to Whiskey, I didn't need any more. I'm a lucky alky. I didn't need them pills or them funny cigarettes or nothing. That Whiskey, man, <coughs> that was the best thing I'd found since money and girls, because that, that Whiskey gets you downtown. And it got me downtown now. And man, I want to be downtown. Yes. Oh, God. And I acquired a taste for that whiskey, too. I like the effect and I like the taste. But when you first break it in, you know, when you're young and you're in training out there, it was tough. Yeah. I broke in on that 10 high. That'll tell you something right there. Man, it was rotten. I don't think they made anything worse than 10 high. And I drank everything there was because I was never a choosy drinker. The guy says to me, you want a drink? I said, let's go. Yeah, hell, I didn't stand around and have a half an hour conversation about it because I'd learned young. The best whiskey I'll ever drink is yours, right? <laughs> to keep the overhead down that way. But I don't think I ever drank anything that was worse than that 10 high. Man, that baby burned. It burned going and coming. <clears throat> I ran out my nose and made my eyes water. But I hung in, and I think that's important. If you're going to be an alcoholic, you don't give up because you throw up a little. Stay in there, man. And the day will come, I'll guarantee you, when you can drink a pint of whiskey and you don't heave anymore, you know. Oh, God, you feel like you've arrived. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said about that cheaper whiskey. When you throw it up, you don't lose much, right? Now, <laughs> well, I got some friends out there drink wild turkey. Thirteen fifty a fifth. Can you imagine that? God, if you were flashing that, a uh, 13 and a half, Ooh, there it goes, you know. All over the ground, that'd make me sick just watching them go out. So there's a lot to be said, I suppose, about that cheaper booze. But the whiskey started giving me a little trouble. Started giving me, you know, uh, started having that, that change of personality. I started getting some bad jams. The police picking me up all the time. Now by the end of 1941, I'm in a bad jam. I had the opportunity to to really go back to jail and serve the time while they let me join the Navy. And I joined the Navy in January of 1942. And I went into seaman in 1942. Four years later, I came out, and I was a seaman. And people have said, why, that's impossible. But not if you put your mind to it, right? Now, <coughs> if you, now, the only reason I didn't get a kick out of BCD or something worse than that is that, like most alcoholics, I'm a hard worker. And, and I was. I liked ships, and I liked the sea, and I did a good job. So I, I didn't get a kick out of it. When that, uh, that ship pulled into port and I was on the beach, I was in one jam after another. Boy, yeah, I got a deck, a summary, a general court martial. I had 11 months in the Navy, Navy pen up there on top of Goat Island. I had 70, 80 days solitary confinement on bread and water. I had some other miscellaneous things that are important, but all directly to the booze. 
If I'm not drinking, no trouble. But if I'm drinking, I got a lot of trouble out there. And I was able to just hang in there by my fingertips. I fulfilled a commitment of four years. I discharged out and I came back to L.A. in 1946. I am the alcoholic. I have crossed the invisible line. When, I don't know, 18, 19 years old, maybe 20, who knows? But I have crossed the line. One's too many, a thousand aren't enough. Looking for the answer, living out there in a quart of whiskey, and I can't find it. My entire life revolves around booze. People that sell it and people that drink it. And after half a dozen drinks, I have, I have no control. <clears throat> I, I want to continue on until there's no more available to me. I could have used the program. 1946, God moves in strange and mysterious ways. No matter what you do or you don't do, it's going to work out that way anyway. In 1946, I made a profound statement to myself. I said, so, don't drink in Pasadena anymore because Pasadena's are rotten down and you're in trouble there all the time. And so, I was not going to do any more drinking there. I had two 502s there that year, other years to spend on three-year probation. But in spite of myself, as I said, God moving in strange and mysterious ways. One night, <clears throat> I'm out of town and I'm drinking and I committed the cardinal sin. I began to think. <laughs> and you should never do that. You should either drink or think, but don't do them both at the same time. <laughs> I got to thinking about that rotten Pasadena. Yeah, that rotten judge. And if I want to go back, I'm going back. I'm back in town. Before you know it, I got a hell of a load on. I get in my car, I drive out. The car pulled in front of me. I couldn't see it. It was too drunk, and I hit it. And I ran from the scene of the accident. The police picked me up three or four blocks down the way, brought me in, threw me in the can. I wake up in the morning, and <clears throat> they're bringing me out of the tank into the elevator. That's charming, isn't it? Just... Oh, yeah, when it gets so bad out there in the street, I don't think I can stand it. I say, God, let me remember. If I think it's Solly today, let me remember what it was, uh, like the night of 46, when I creamed the car and I thought I killed four people. When I stood in that elevator that morning, and I'm getting that used bourbon back and forth, you know. And that elevator dropped four floors, and everything's up there, you know. And how they walk you down through the courtroom, and you're standing there in front of the judge, and you're hanging your head, and the judge is telling you what kind of person you are, and then he says, get him out of here, and they send you to jail. And everything is tough now. I said, let me remember 46 years like <clears throat> Yeah, well, in that city jail, and God in his infinite wisdom, why, in that city jail, I shared a cell with a guy going to AA, 1946. One guy gets out of the can. One guy out of 200, 250 guys to go to AA meetings. Once a week, he'd sit there and he'd tell me about this program. You know, he'd say, well, no, why don't, you, why don't you go to one of these meetings with me? Or words to this effect. He was willing, I know, to fix it up with a sergeant where I could get out and go. And I told him, I said, Sonny, I ain't going to no AA meetings. No, because I know alcoholics. Uh, I'm having a lot of trouble out there. The people, the rotten people are giving me a lot of trouble. Now, we get the people straight out, it's going to be all right. That's them. And anyway, I'm too young. I get to be as old as you are. What the hell? You're 36, man. You're, you're really over the hill. You really don't have much to contribute out there to anybody anymore. So I'll take care of the activity. You take care of them drunks. What have you got to do? But I ain't going to know, hey. <clears throat> and he went on down his way, and I went mine. And I stayed out there another eight years, trying to qualify for this program. In that eight-year period of time, why, well, a lot of things happened, a lot of whiskey. Went to work for one of the largest construction firms in the world. Stayed with these people 11 years. And in that 11-year period of time, I was blessed with being at the right place at the right time. And the jobs got big, and the responsibility, and the money. I mean, oh, that money was important, because I could drink better booze in better places. And about that time, I had a little setback. I met and married a red-headed Irish woman. <clears throat> had a violent temper, a rotten disposition, and yelled at me all the time, you know. When we got married, she had a hell of a job. We had a double income. We're not married two months, and she's walking in the house and says, you know, Norm, I've been to the doctor. I'm pregnant, and i got to quit my job. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then, are you sure? I thought we ought to see another doctor, get a second opinion on this thing. What the hell, woman? 
Well, she assured me she was home free. So I thought, what well, ain't a bad deal, really? What the hell? That caper takes about nine months. We'll give her two to get out of here. We'll get the rotten job back. Everything's going to be just like it was. Hell, that was 33 years ago. That woman ain't turned a tap since that day. <laughs> Got herself in that shape eight times, she did, yeah. <laughs> that Vatican roulette. We had the bad numbers out there, I'll tell you. Yeah, we didn't end up with the eight kids, but we had the eight pregnancies. You know, every other year, instead of the locusts coming in, zing, there she goes. <laughs> I'd sit around them gin mills saying to myself, you know, I ain't home that much either, you know. <laughs> what a marriage we had. You know, she never really recognized how sensitive I was. I'd be gone three or four days to walk in the house. And she started yelling. You're drunk again. Hell, she's ten feet away. She hadn't even smelled my breath. What conversations we'd have? You're drunk again. I say, who me? She say, yeah, you. Then I say, do you know who you're talking to? And in case she didn't, I would introduce myself. <laughs> I'm old Norm, baby. That's who the hell I am, and don't you ever forget it. And then she'd mimic me as only with them lousy Irish to do it. You know, I'm old Norm. That's who I am. <laughs> you know. <laughs> How humiliating that is. In front of one of your best friends. Your new business partner, you met him in the bar last night. You've invited him home, and the reason he's coming home is he don't want to go home alone either. There you stand, the blind leading the blind. You've embarrassed me in front of my best friend, Red, and I'm leaving. I ain't never coming back. What do you think of that? And she'd go down and pull all my clothes out. And I'd pick them damn clothes up, and I'd pack them out to the car, in and out, in and out, you know, loading up that car. That old clothes packet alcoholic is a joy to the neighbors, isn't he? <laughs> God beats the hell out of gun smoke every Saturday night, right? Yeah. Watching that old Alky loading up his car out there, sitting in the front seat honking his horn. Honk, honk, honk. I'm going, Charlie. And she did it again. Zing, he goes off into the sunset, drives the alcoholic, never to return. Two days later, you wake up in the front seat of the car. You got your head screwed up under the armrest and the door handle in your ear. <clears throat> you woke up about midnight. You're sick as hell. You thought the window was down. It was up. <clears throat> you know. Knocked the hell out of your head and threw up in your own window. <laughs> and you roll it down. Squish, squish, squish. Down comes the window, right? <clears throat> then you drive home to hose your car out. <laughs> running bad you have a flat tire but if you're an alcoholic you wouldn't change it <clears throat> no in the alcoholic's life everything is disagreeable will go away right so you drive on it <clears throat> and it goes away it gets all chewed up and it evaporates you are now driving on the rim they call them rim drivers in AA the sparks are flying the neighbors are running out getting the kids the hell out of the way you pull the car into the driveway, up in the lawn, open the door, you fall out, right? You lay out on the lawn for an hour or so. You get up saying to yourself, I wonder if anybody saw me. <laughs> because if you're a typical alcoholic, you don't think anybody knows you drink, right? <laughs> <clears throat> yes, we worry immensely about our reputation. Laying on the lawns and in the hedge. That hedge will get you, won't it? <clears throat> Man. I remember I fell on one over in Phoenix and I was drunk. I couldn't get out. You know how to get to your clothes. I thought, I'm going to die in the hedge. 
We didn't even see any of these conditions. I did very little drinking around my home. I did it all out there in them gin mills, and I would have anyway because I'm a bar drinker. Always have been a bar drinker. I like them. I like them gin mills. I like the dark lights. I like the rotten music hammered at you, man. I like them intellectual giants that sit there and solve the problems. I like sitting there at midnight, and you kind of get mesmerized. There, and you got that Maybelline look, you know. You you're just kind of wide-eyed. You're sitting there. You devil, you, yeah. It's incredible how good-looking you get at about midnight. And you're bringing that drink up, and you notice your arm, and, oh, Jesus, you kill her, you're well-built, too. 150 ringing wet, and I couldn't lick my lips in those days. But that whiskey makes a lover and a killer out of you, and some nights you get so drunk, you can't remember what you are. Oh, yeah. And you uh, sitting there, good-looking, well-built, intellectual, and wealthy. You got a thirty-dollar smiling Frankie Gordon suit on. You got fifty cents worth of chili down the front of you there. Huh? <laughs> a little whiskey with the chili. Smell bad. Can't talk. Mumble a lot. Slide off a bar stool onto the floor. Or you got to go to the men's room. It's a pay toilet. Bad deal. No money. You got to slide under the door. Huh? There's got to be some door sliders here tonight. I'm sure. Then you get in. <laughs> then you got to slide out. Never knowing till you get to AA. Once you get inside, all you got to do is turn the handle and walk out. <laughs> what an education is AA. I'll never forget it was over three or four months. I was down to the LA airport. Had to go to Texas. <clears throat> I go into the men's room. It's a pay toilet. And I put the money in. I go in. And coming out, just turn the handle. I thought, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> All the years, sliding in and out. <laughs> and the element of many evenings would be when you're walking around the street trying to find your car. Huh? <laughs> A lot of car losers today. <laughs> what an emotional thing it is. You know, I can't find my car. You call home to your wife. Baby, did you take my car again? I don't know whether you've ever talked to a non-alcoholic friend about losing your car or not, but it's kind of sad, isn't it? You only do it once because it's very embarrassing. I'll never forget my neighbor. He's an attorney, and the last time I made the can was in 53. A couple of days after Christmas, I called my neighbor and said, Julie, he was a new neighbor, incidentally. He said, Julie, I'm in the can out in the zoo, so will you get some money down here and get me out, please? And so he came down, he bailed me out of the can, and as we're walking out, why, he says, Norm, let's get your car and get the hell out of here. And I bet we stopped right there, and, brother, and I said, Julie, I don't want my car in. And I'll never forget that look in his eyes. And he said, God, Norm, are you sure? I'll bet your car weighs over 4,000 pounds now. Think about that. And I wanted to tell him, and I just couldn't think of the appropriate words. I want to say, Julie, I do it three, four times a year. You just, well, you just get a little drunk out there and you lose them. But I, you know, I couldn't do it. I think one of the highlights of an alcoholic's life was the night he finds his car. It's kind of a spiritual experience, isn't it? So you're walking down the street, there it is! My car, God love your car. You open the door, you get in, go back to bed, right on. And I walked on down that road and I ground it out. We laugh about all of these things today. And I can tell you, every loving thing I owned and anything in my life, which you got. Little by little, I ground it out. And eventually I stood there and I'm tapped. <clears throat> the respect of the people I worked for, the people I did business with, went away because it was one jam after another. 
The company, when I joined them, had been owned and operated by three Yugoslavs that made uh, all their money, they said, with hard work and good whiskey, so I fit. But they sold out in 51, and an eastern firm come in, and the image was very important. And drinking on the job was out. And there in the out of jams was out. And I continued to get in one jam after another jam. Down in Big Spring, Texas, I got picked up. They had a 90-mile line going from Odessa to Big Spring, and I got a hell of a jam down there. And they gave me, as a matter of fact, I paid the fine, they put me in the middle of it. Put me on the airplane, sent me back to L.A. and told me never to come back to West Texas again and then notified the corporation. The corporation in turn told me. They told me in no uncertain terms that that was it. That was the last time. They said, the next time I smell booze in your breath, buddy, this will you're out. And you'll never leave this L.A. County again for us. We'll send people on the job half as good as you think you are. We can't depend on you. Now get the hell out of my office. Humiliation. Alcoholics could write volumes, huh, on humility? Because we've been humiliated so many times. How do I want to reach across the desk? How do I want to grab him by the throat? How do I want to say, who the hell do you think you're talking to, you Johnny-come-lately? I'm the guy that drives the line out there. I make it go. On the backbone of that division, who are you to tell me? I'll fix your rotten wagon. I'm going to quit the company. I'm going to form my own company. I'm going to run you out of business. Then you're going to come out and see me for a job, and you're going to walk in my office, and I'm going to say, get out of here. I remember you. And then I had another drink, and I dreamed another dream, and I fell off another bar stool. That's what I did. I didn't do anything because I'm frightened. All of my life, I'm frightened. I'm living on the edge. I gotta have the job because I gotta buy the whiskey, and I gotta get sore. She says, "Norm, you're a drunken bum. You never lived to be 35 years old. Hell, you're drinking yourself to death. I'm an erratic because of you. Look at all the kids in erratic. I spent all these years sitting here looking through the front room window waiting to see your car come home." Yeah, night after night after night, when you're in the state, Norm, all I do is wait. They hear a siren scream the streets, I think, Christ, the cops got you, Norm. Or this time it's an ambulance. They ain't never coming in. But I gotta live that way. But I call an attorney, Norm. And I put a restraining order against you. <clears throat> yeah. You can't put set, set foot on the property. I'm gonna divorce you, Norm. <clears throat> Get out of my life. And so you pack up a few things, you walk out of your car and you get in, you drive away and you say to yourself, why me? Why did they do it? What the hell did I get so drunk last night? Why did they say two days? Why, why, why? And you know and I know you're an alcoholic. If you're an alcoholic, you continue to drink, it's just a matter of time until you grind it out, and then little by little, till uh, every loving thing you got that means anything in your life, which you get, takes it away. Just a matter of time until you stand there and you're tapped and nothing. You may have all the money in the world and drive the biggest iron in town, but you got nothing inside, so you got nothing. Because a man walked into my life one day and says, Norm, you've abused the privilege of owning it, <coughs> and he took it away. He took away the respect of myself as a human being, as an individual, and I had nothing inside. I could sit in them gin mills, and I couldn't look in the mirrors anymore because what I saw I couldn't tolerate. What I wash on my face in the morning is very difficult, I gotta hang my head. I can still kid every man jack in town out in the street, drunk or sober, but to get to the point I can't kid myself anymore. I <clears throat> Internally, I heard that. February of 1954, I got off of the floor. Psychological second. <clears throat> sick and tired of being sick and tired. Don't know any of that. Got directed. Got up off of the floor. Walked in, picked up a telephone. Called information. Got the telephone number of the central office. Los Angeles, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know anything about AA other than what I'd heard about in 1946 from that buddy of mine in that jail house. I heard about it again about three or four months before I made the program because my neighbor, <coughs> Julie's wife, had gone to see a show called Come Back Little Sheba. And in the show, it made mention about Alcoholics Anonymous. And so she broke her keister to get over to tell Red 
Norm's an alcoholic. He ought to go to AA. Let's call AA. <laughs> and so they called AA, but AA wouldn't come to see me. And when I got home that night, I read to Norm, Norm, you're an alcoholic. You're going to go to AA. You better go to AA. I said, I ain't no alcoholic, baby. Oh, no. <clears throat> Three or four months later, though, I got up onto the floor and I walked in. I pick up a telephone and call the central office. I talked to a man with the name John. John's a hell of a guy. Soft-spoken, easy-going John. John said, if you got a drinking problem, son, you never have to take another drink again if you don't want to. We got the answer to your problem if it's booze. Give yourself a break. He said, here's some phone numbers, son, call. And I started calling. Pretty soon I got a hold of a guy, and a guy came to see me. And he sat there, and he's one of them hard-hearted sponsors you hear about in AA. I used to think they sent him to school to be a hard-hearted sponsor. Boy, his attitude about the program was, if you didn't want AA as bad as you wanted the whiskey, what the hell are you doing in AA? Any length together, if he said it once, he said it half a dozen times, he made me absolutely ill. Any length together. He said, you went any length to get that booze, boy. You rode, you drove, you walked, you stole, you conned. Any length. That's the way you come for the program. You need us, and we don't need you, and don't you ever forget it. And he said, if you think I'm going to pick you up and take you to me, you're crazy. I don't believe in that. You got a car, you drive. You got a car, what you doing in AA? Oh, yeah. You got a car, you got a watch, too. You got something you can sell, hot, <clears throat> buy more whiskey. What are you doing around here? You're premature, son. He says, but here, the last three or four years, we've softened up a lot. We've been taking chances on guys with cars, and a lot of you guys are working out. <laughs> I didn't like him, obviously. We got a generation gap of 18, 20 years. I could hardly wait for 8 o'clock to come that night so I could drive down to that meeting. It was an 8.30 meeting. He said, I'm going to be down at Temple City, and I'll meet you down there. I can hardly wait. Man, I want to get down to that meeting. In spite of myself, in spite of him, it was a God-directed thing. There's no question about it. I drove down there maybe to prove to him I could drive that far. Or show him a car. I wanted to hit him with it. That's what I wanted to do. And I pulled my car in to that Temple City meeting. Met down in a town called Rosemead. In a parking lot, he said he'd meet me, and I pulled it in the parking lot, and I got there. He was. I was really a little bit surprised because I thought he was kind of putting me on a little. But he walked the door and I got out and he put his arm around me. And I loved him from that day to the day he died. And let me tell you, he was a controversial individual. I'm not saying the way he handled it is right, but I'm not saying it's wrong either. I'm only saying that's the way he brought the program to me and many others. That guy had a tough time, see. Carried the message to thousands and thousands of people. He was a, di- people. He was a dynamic speaker. <clears throat> God knows how many people he helped. But he had a very difficult time helping himself, you see. <clears throat> he wanted to direct the thing, the show. Chapter 6 was for other people. He turned his will and his life over to the care of anybody on any permanent basis. No, he couldn't do it. He wanted to direct. And when people didn't take his direction, he got very resentful. And the resentment saved him alive. And one day he had a decision to make. To totally release, relax, and let it go. Or I'll drink a little whiskey. And he drank a little. And he stayed out there 12 years. Yeah. He tried to get back in time and time again. He'd come back. That seven, eight-year syndrome. He'd come back, but he couldn't forget. He couldn't forget that he was the guy that carried the message, that helped the people. He couldn't forget that, that ego, you know. He couldn't forget that all the people he sponsored were now his sponsor. And so he'd go back out again. And then one day he had a severe heart attack, and it drove him to his knees. And he came back in. He stayed. But physically, he couldn't cut it out there any longer. And he had a year and a half, and then he died. Hell of a guy. Best sponsor of the world. Because he was mine. If it wasn't for guys like him, why guys like me wouldn't be here today. He's the guy that took the time to sit there on a Sunday afternoon 
He's the guy that took the time that Sunday night to meet me down there in that temple city. He to walk me into that group. What a hell of a group. Boy, that was a... <clears throat> we had 80, 90 of the finest drunks ever came out of the San Gabriel Valley, I'll tell you that. And a very wealthy group. We had so much money in the group in those days, we had donuts before and after the meeting. Can you believe that? <laughs> we had those red jelly donuts. They're very expensive. But we like red, those <clears throat> red jelly donuts. They're very good for new people. <clears throat> you see a new guy coming through the door, and he's all green and hung out. <clears throat> And the Red Jelly Donut Committee would slide up on him there, you know. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Are you new? How about a donut? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know whether you ever looked at a Red Jelly Donut and when you got a hand. And I said, oh, I don't want you around donut. And then a meeting began, and the guy it was typical of an AA meeting. The guy stood up in front of the group that night, and he told everybody what a jackass he was, and they laughed. He talked about going to jail, and they laughed. Talked about people beating him up. They laughed. Talked about drinking something called Jamaica Ginger. Give him the Jake leg. Crippled him up so bad to put him in a hospital for a couple of months, and they were absolutely hysterical over the fact that poor bugger couldn't walk. Yeah, funniest thing they ever heard, you can't walk, you know. Your sponsor sitting next to you, knocking the hell out of you. Did you hear that? He can't walk. <laughs> God, you're not deaf. They got you in the front row. I hear it all. In the beginning, I identify with this guy. He's a street man out of L.A. I savvy what he's talking about, but the more he talks, I lose him. I ain't that bad. I can't qualify. 70, 80 jails? No. I got no story. I'm premature. I've been in 25 jails. It's the outside. I drank a little Vitalis once in the Navy, a little Aquavelva once. You know, what does that compare to this guy? But that guy made a hell of a statement that night, and he took it out of the book. Sure glad he did. He said it doesn't make any difference what you drank or where you drank it or how much you consumed or how old you are. It's what it's doing to you. He said it was tearing up any part of your life. You don't have to go any farther. When he said that, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to say, yeah. Hey, man, it's tore the hell out of my life. I'm not so sure I want to quit drinking, but I'm so tired of hurting myself, I could just spit. And I don't want to hurt me. I don't want to hurt anymore. And the one thing that I took away from that meeting that night, and probably the only thing that I took away, was the fact that if he could do it, I could do it. Because he said I could. He stood there, and I thought he was talking to me. He said, if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm thinking, maybe so. Sure. I ain't that bad. His problems, his life, have been compounded by the fact that his woman had divorced him. And she'd remarried. And all these kids, they hated him. But he said one day he bought the package of this program, and his kids came down to see him, and they learned to like him, respect him, and love him. Hell of a look around and have seen the miracle of miracles, them big tough guys, them big 200-pound hayshakers out of South El Monte sitting there crying. The tears are just coming down. Big tough guys. And the story was told. They laughed because they were miserable and they cried because they were happy and they called it Alcoholics Anonymous. And you may say oversimplification. Maybe it is, but hell, it's the only program I got. You see. I discovered through the laughter of the program I could clear out the wreckage of my past and the wreckage of the future. Through the laughter, I'll live. Through the laughter, I'll set down that thousand pounds of guilt. Through the laughter, I'll make a transition and I'll buy the whole package. I'll feel something for somebody in my life and not want anything back. Did he? You didn't buy it. That's what he told me. Norm, you didn't buy it. You can't sell it. You can only give it. And the more you give, Norm, the better it is. To give. To sit in a meeting and, and feel good because another guy's good. <clears throat> and he's happy. That's, a lot, that's different. 
You see, I never had any of that in my life. I felt nothing for anybody because I, I'm, not a, I'm not a giver. I'm a taker. I'm a taker of things and a user of people. I'm a loser. All takers are losers. I had absolutely nothing until I came here and found to have something. You've got to give something if it's only a feeling. If it's picking up the coffee cup, the ashtrays, or the secretary of the group, or sitting there in a meeting one night and seeing a friend of yours sat up in front of a meeting. I was sober two or three months. And I'll never forget it. A guy sat up in front of the group down in South San Gabriel. I lost track of him. He and I did a lot of boozing up in the San Joaquin Valley. Old Rotten Frank. 180 pounds of the rottenest drunk I ever drank with in my life. He was so bad to 80-60 miles of the Tulare Hotel for life. And the Tulare Hotel was so bad they burned it down a few years ago. That's how bad it was, yeah. But there that night stood old Rotten Frank in front of the meeting. And he's getting a case. He's got three candles on it. Big, tough guy standing there in front of the meeting. <laughs> and a woman comes out with the cake and the three candles and he blows them out. And the tears are coming down, old Rotten Frank crying. And then he looked down at everybody and he said, Man, I never had it so good. And he sat down. And he said more in seven words than I've said in the last 40 minutes. And I wanted to get up and I wanted to say, Frank, tell me, baby. Tell me, tell me, Frank, what it really is. And I found the tears were burning my eyes. And I found that I cried a little, not for myself, but just because I was so damn happy when another guy was happy. And the rewards are insurmountable, my friends who are new. Not something in a material sense, but in a sense of well-being, I'll guarantee you the world, yeah. And I'd like to be able to tell you that after a couple of meetings in AA, all of these things, this is what I learned, this is what I extracted. But that isn't it, you see. I took very little, maybe, out of that first meeting. The second meeting I went to was almost the last I ever attended. The second meeting we went to, my sponsor says, we're going to a meeting in Pasadena tomorrow night. I'll meet you there. He says, Pasadena? What the hell are we going to Pasadena? I'm going to Pasadena, huh? He said, we're going. All right, we'll go. So I went. <clears throat> it was an old-timers meeting. <clears throat> Had to be sober 10 years to read the steps. <laughs> the speaker that night, been in AA about 137 years. Yeah. And what he spoke, he always showed a picture of himself. It was a great big blown-up mugshot taken up when he was doing time in the county jail. <laughs> he'd talk along and he'd pick up this picture and he said, Look at me when I'm drinking, man, and look at me now. And I looked at that picture, and I looked at old Artie, and I thought, God, he looked better drunk, that guy did, yeah. <laughs> this AA outfit ages the hell out of these buggers, you know. I gotta get out of here. And so the next day on the way to work, I pulled into Tony's liquor store, and he says, baby, give me a pony, and she did. <clears throat> I got out of the car, I cracked it, and I took a drag out of it. And as I'm driving down Arrow Highway, well, I made that overhand shot, you know, over the top of the car. Not chuck that pint. <clears throat> From that day to this, it hasn't been necessary to take a drink. God moves in strange and mysterious ways. I went to that third meeting. In the third meeting, I bumped into a half a dozen guys. That's why they, they say, go to a lot of meetings. So I, I bumped into a half a dozen guys, and they're all about the same age. We started running together and going to meetings together and having meetings after the meetings together. They're the best kind, aren't they? The meetings after the meetings. You get them in-depth inventories taken. <clears throat> we noticed a lot of clicks in AA, and we formed our own click to be against the other clicks. Yeah, they had a bunch of bad secretaries, so we run one of our guys for secretary, and we got him in. <clears throat> and then he joined the other cliques. Yeah. <laughs> then we found out, didn't we, uh, that the only clicks in AA is a click, click, click it in your head, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> all you got in AA is people. People from all walks of life. People I wouldn't do any boozing with, and they wouldn't drink with me. People I'll not share all my sobriety with them, but they won't share all theirs with me either. But the beauty of it all is, as a man told me years ago, a guy named Glenn, he says, Norm, there's not a man or a woman in this program who 
would just like you so bad he'd like to see you take a drink. No matter what he thinks of you personally, would you call him up and say, Charlie, I got to see you? He'd be down. And he'd sit. And he'd help. Because he wouldn't want to see you go back out there in that jungle and get torn up in that grinder one more time. He'd come to help, regardless of how he feels about you personally. And that, my friends, has got to be a hell of a deal. It's got to be the best deal I ever had in my life. And I'm the guy that looked half the world trying to find the best deal. And I didn't find it till I got here. And I'd love to tell you that every day's been a holiday and every meal's a banquet. But that isn't what we got. And that isn't what they promised. When I walked through the doors, they said, Sobriety and a way of life, Norm. And whatever you are, you're going to be better at. <clears throat> we don't guarantee you're going to make a ton of scratch or drive a big iron or live in the big house on the hill or Red's ever going to call you home. No, that isn't what we have, Norm. Ditch digger. If you're a ditch digger, Norm, you're going to be a better ditch digger. And we're going to give you the equipment and the strength to stand out there in that jungle and be counted like everybody else. You're going to take the good days, Norm. You'll love them, and I do. And if you're going to take the good days, you've got to take the bad ones out there, huh? <clears throat> you got to take the heartbreak, the grief, and the misery when it pounds and knocks on the door. And those are the difficult times. You've seen yours, and I've seen mine. We'll probably see some more. None of us look forward to it, do we? I remember in 62, standing out there, and I got a bad year going. I got an honest desire to take a drink. I got the Arab thirst. I got that, I can taste that whiskey going down all year. Got a bad program going. One thing is compounded by another, financially, in the worst shape of my life. <clears throat> Everything I touched, touched turned to pucky, you know, that kind of year. I couldn't hit it out there. And I stood out there time and again, and I'm not making it. At the end of the year, I'm standing in front of St. Luke's Hospital, and I'm crying. And I'm saying, Jesus, why? And I told the doctor, I says, what the hell, you butcher? You screwed it up. And I said, why? Why me? I'm eight years sober. I should be exempt. You ought to give it to the new guy. But nobody's exempt, huh? Nobody. Deep inside, you know. Deep inside, as I stood there and I cried my share of the poor mouth, I knew the old shooter upstairs always been a kind guy. He always cuts everything to size. He gives the big loads to the big horses and the small ones. He's always giving the guy's name Norm. Instead of standing around trying to pour him out about what you didn't get or what you did get, hell, Norm, you better thank him for what you got. And so today, one more time, I'd like to say thank you very much. Thank you very much for what you gave me. Thank you very much for what you didn't give me. Thank you very much for the 26 years and 11 months and a few days that you, <clears throat> that you let me walk out there on the sunny side of the street. Because, hell, I know guys that died never saw 27 days. They died out there in a street of booze and fantasy, busted dreams and broken hearts and tears by the bucket ball. Hell, the guy that brought the program to me in 46 in that city jail. He had three years of sobriety, and then he went back out, and he drank, and he flopped in and out, and he tried to get a handle on it. And, and one day, a few years ago, his sister-in-law called me. She says, no, I'm just a ginger, and I hate to tell you, but... <clears throat> Sully was drunk last night, and he had an internal hemorrhage, Norm, and he bled to death, and that's all there is, and he went hard. He went with the heat on and the screws down, and he had to justify his existence to the bitter end. So you see, I'm overpaid because I haven't had to justify my existence out there to anybody for a hell of a long time. I've been able to get up in the morning and go out on the street, and on the street is my street, and the sun is shining most of the time. And I'm respected within myself, and I'm respected by people. I do a job, and I go home at night. And I walk in a house, and when I get in the house, there's a woman. She's my woman. A red-headed Irish woman. She's glad I'm coming in, most of the time. <laughs> she respects me, because I'm an old man. No more, no less. And nobody cries in my joint today because their old man is drunk and tearing it up. 
And I haven't heard a kid of mine scream at me for years. But I've watched them go from small bandits into the big bandits. And <clears throat> I give them the opportunity if they, they want to go to school. And, and so some went to school. Not that that's a criteria. I, I'm not heavy on education, but I, I said, if you want to go to school and be a bum, go ahead. Or you can stay home and be a bum, too. So, <clears throat> they had the opportunity to make that decision. And so some went to school. And I've taken each and every one of my daughters downtown. One by one, and I bought them their first pair of high-heeled shoes. And I put them in prom dresses. And I cried at the sight of them. That the chickens of my life have become the women of my life. And I walked each and every one of them down the aisle. And I give them the jackasses. They all married them. <laughs> I cried every foot of the way. For the joy that I was there to walk that chicken to the aisle, when I got to the aisle and saw it, I could. I said, why me, God? Jesus. But you know, I'm really exaggerating. All my son-in-laws, they all work and they all take baths. How are you going to beat that deal, huh? <laughs> I got one in the oil business, I got one as a dentist, so I'm going to have gas and teeth, huh? Right. <laughs> and I got four granddaughters that ripped the hell out of my house. Pull the knobs off my TV, put peanut butter in my slippers. And, and I get aggravated and I want to yell, but I don't. Because I know I'm overpaid. Because I know guys that never saw a grandkid do nothing. Because they died out there on that street. And I got a grandson that'll be here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I could go on and relate many things. But I could never find the adequate words, could I? How can I tell you that every loving thing I got is because of AA? That any loving thing I'm ever going to be in my life is going to be because of this program. It's going to take a mental giant to figure that out. <clears throat> I can tell you, buddy, if you knew, that it's been a hell of a walk from Lincoln Heights and the L.A. County Jail to the point that I stand today. And but for the grace of God, Alcoholics Anonymous and friends like you, I could have missed it all. Thanks to me and God love you. <laughs>